There will be spoilers ahead. Lots of spoilers, so be careful, won't you? Welcome to the final episode of You Haven't Seen That, Part 2. This week we've chosen a movie that neither of us has seen, and indeed an example of an oeuvre that neither of us has encountered. Sorry, I think I passed a kidney stone. Oeuvre. Oeuvre. A Jerry Lewis, Dean Martin comedy. Yes, shamefully, we have never seen the work of this very influential and massively successful show business team of the 1940s and 50s. But that ends now. I would like to take this opportunity to quote from these two superstars of their time. As Dean Martin once said, Where's my drink? <laughs> and in the inimitable words of Jerry Lewis, Gloisen Flazen, Freumann, Hoyle, Schmendragloffling Dagen. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, I need a minute. The, the poetry of that just, just gets me every time. Why is it funnier when you say it? <laughs> I'm your host, Max and Flagenmorf, Lavoie, mein back. And over there is the velvet frog himself, Mike Hamsterpack Loose. Croon us a little something, Mike. Burp. Perfect. <laughs> but before we get to this cinematic triumph, we have our poll question. Poll question. Last week we asked you, what is your favorite horror movie and why? And you had thoughts. Ooh. Harriet Roberts says The Changeling. Hmm. I don't know. Do you know that one? I do not. Yeah, never heard of that. Intriguing. Hmm. Nick Hoffman says, Ooh, good one. I, I don't know if he was being sarcastic. It's not clear in the punctuation, <laughs> so I'm just assuming. Uh, favorite watch is probably John Carpenter's The Thing. I have an incredible coinky dink to report. <laughs> The nature of the threat is insidious, and the ending is just creepy. It's also peppered with some utterly hysterical moments. It is? Hysterical? Hysterical moments. Wow. Huh. Okay. Ah, well, sure. Scariest movie I ever saw was Jacob's Ladder. Oh, boy. I saw it once at the Dome and can't bring myself to watch it again. That's one of those that's just creepy to me rather than scary but is that, is that one that's got um tim robbins in it and yes got, okay and it's yeah. got like students that are like hey what if we were almost dead and you brought us back and no that's uh that that was a different one that was uh flatliners oh okay yeah oh, maybe i haven't seen the, i thought i had seen jacob's Maybe the Kiefer, Kiefer sutherland and then julia roberts uh oh. dave, dave says american werewolf in london elmer oh. bernstein soundtrack okay oh. That's a good choice. I liked all the moon-related songs. Well, and you and I have been quoting that movie for years. <laughs> hey, yep. what's that star on the wall for? <laughs> you made me miss. I've never missed that board before. <laughs> Stand the path. Anthony Keep clear the moors. <laughs> Hi, David. Um, <laughs> Tony Merrill says, alien. Eh, mm. Either the special effects or the fact it simply scared the crap out of me. Ooh, messy. Fair. Absolutely fair. Yep. Jessica Miller says, Cabin in the Woods. Oh, boy. Yeah. That was, a, I think, a Joss Whedon one. Aside, Wait, in a cabin in the wood, little old man by the window stood? Yep. And he saw a rabbit hopping by, and the rabbit ripped out his soul. Oh. Um, that one. No, no, totally. As, I think they missed an opportunity by not playing that song. But yeah. hmm. Sorry. Aside from some fantastic, in my humble opinion, one-liners, I really like the ending, but no spoilers. Also, pretty much anything Mike 
Flanagan has done. He sounds like a flatfoot, though, doesn't he? He does. I'm Mike Flanagan. I know what it is to walk the lonely streets of a lonely city. <laughs> There's a deeper. I, I don't know where that came from. Um, yes, you do. By the way, Dr. Professor Rebecca Pelkey seconds the cabin in the woods, but also says poltergeist scared the bejesus out of me as a teen. Language. You're a doctor. <laughs> And paranormal activity did more recently than I like to admit. Ooh, no, I will not even go near that one. Any of Jordan Peele's three are scary and thought-provoking. <laughs> and to promote some more indigenous horror, Jeff Barnaby's Blood Quantum hmm. is a great bloody zombie film. That's a cool title. I've never heard of that. Hmm. And finally, two very low-budget but fun or campy indigenous horror films, The Smudging... And the dead can't dance. Okay, I want to see those just because of the titles. <laughs> Val Coons, who for some reason has something to do with the quote about the detective. Oh, I don't, don't know. Idea. Hmm. Yeah, says Nosferatu, the 1922 Max Schreck version. While it's not a keep you up at night scary, it's still plenty creepy. Also, Psycho and the Birds. Some might argue that Psycho is a psychological thriller rather than horror. Eh. But what makes it horrific is that it could really happen at any time and has. That's true. Norman Bates was kind of based on a real person. Nice. Yeah. Tyler Stewart says The Haunting, the 1963 one, not the one with Liam Neeson. Oh, I didn't know they'd remade that. Hmm. Oh, just as well. Uh, (laughs) I'm also very fond of Curse of the Demon, a.k.a. Night of the Demon. 1957, which wasn't very scary, but has my favorite villain. Other faves are The Others and Alien. Uh, Val Coons also brings in Stephen the Assistant says The Strangers. It's the the scariest movie he's ever seen. Hmm. Ralph Smith says The Original Godzilla Without Raymond Burr. It's the end of our civilization, except for a miracle. Hmm. A a hurricane, an earthquake, a Godzilla. (laughs) Um, Adam Mark says, quote, Wouldst thou like to live deliciously? From The Witch, 2015. I'm oh, sorry, that was uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. In Robert Eggers' high-profile entrance into mainstream, we watch as a Puritan family and goat, a goat named Black Philip, become overwhelmed with paranoia as they suspect a witch lives amongst them. Their religious zealotry and superstition seems absurd to the modern viewer. One by one, they mysteriously disappear, or they off one another as their paranoia grows. The viewer is left horrified by the paranoia, claustrophobia of the small farm, and the sense that you have no idea where this is going. Finally, only the innocent protagonist teen girl remains. Ah, the final girl. Oh, this sounds like a spoiler. Shall we say spoiler? Yeah, spoiler. Okay. (laughs) Bereaved and desperate, the girl stomps stomps the barn, I assume stomps into the barn, and asks the goat point blank, in so many words, are you the devil? And in fact, and here's another, the real spoiler, he is. I'm not <laughs> bad. I'm just drawn yeah. that way. <laughs> <laughs> she joins him and becomes a witch, smiling brightly and the film abruptly ends. The audience is left stunned. The absurd and antiquated fears of the characters were in fact validated, valid and indeed fully realized. As the theater fell into abrupt blackness, one solitary voice called out, What the beep? (laughs) Followed by nervous giggling. I loved it. It haunts me still. Hmm, interesting. Bruce Hare Jr. says, Yay, John... 
I'm not sure why he starts off with yay, but yeah, John Carpenter's Halloween. Oh boy. Star it with an unknown Jamie Lee Curtis. Just the right amount of slashing with a gourmet helping of cheese factor, a sprinkle <laughs> of good old-fashioned scare tactics, and a William Shatner Captain Kirk Halloween mask. Bake at 350 degrees for 35 minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Th- the carp- I, that's another one I never want to see. It's really not that scary. Kelly Cooper says Tremors, 1990, is, in my opinion, one of the great comedy horror films. Oh, the scary sh- stuff... Was ge- I had to change a word there. It was genuinely scary. The funny stuff ranged from subtle to guffaw-worthy, and it played with the edge of tension, about to laugh or about to flinch, beautifully. And Michael Gross playing against type and chewing the scenery to pieces was fabulous. <laughs> Guess you broke into the wrong goddamn rec room! It's also one of only two films I know of with Fred Willard in it. <laughs> oh, oh, he's in a bunch. Is he? He's in I remember he's Remo in- Williams in that. He's also in This Is Spinal Tap, and he's in all of those uh, Waiting for Guffman films. Yes, he is. He plays an army major. He's in one scene. Huh. But uh, Dan Schaefer's... Sorry, Fred Ward. Oh, oh, Fred Ward. He's also in The Right Stuff. Is he? Yeah, he's Gus Grissom. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see it. Yeah, it's a good movie, but I honestly, those three, I don't know anything else he was in. Dan Schaefer brings up Suspiria. I saw it with Max, maybe? Yes, it was with me. Thanks a lot. (laughs) At a 24-hour horror movie festival, yeah, thanks for that too, at the Orson Welles, and it made a big impression. I saw it again in 2017 when it was released for its 40th anniversary and to promote the 2018 remake, and Jessica Harper came on stage to be interviewed afterwards. Never saw the remake, but I heard it was not very good. Yeah, I heard that too. And from the terrifying frozen north, where the zombie penguins shuffle very, very slowly, (laughs) we have Vince, who also says John Carpenter's The Thing is up there, nice timing, as one of my favorite or at least modern horror movies. My nephew and his friends watched it recently, and it scared the crap out of them with that autopsy slash spider head scene. Spiderhead? Spiderhead (laughs) does whatever a spiderhead does. Uh, they had no idea the uh, film was 40 years old. Hmm. I do think I like Alien better. It really pulls you in and the, quote, and then there were none, end quote, aspect of it, along with the truly terrifying creature designs, are still very effective. All in all, my all-in-all time fave is Moraz Nosferatu. With, oh, is, I think that's, the, is that the one with, um, uh, the Ger- German guy, not Max Schreck, the later one, Klaus Kinski. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like oh, the making good. of the movie. It's not... No, ha- no, no, no. He actually did a, a remake of Nosferatu oh. where he... And it's so freaking creepy. Because there was also we, one where they're talking about yes, the making of the, it, and it's like, wait, is the main actor actually yep. a vampire? What's going on yeah, with this? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that uh, was Willem Dafoe. That was Willem Dafoe. Okay. That's the one and Eddie Izzard. Yeah, it's a, Eddie Izzard? A, Eddie, Izzard's in, Eddie Izzard is in it, yeah. Okay. I think he, he's either the director or another uh, actor. My favorite scene is the guy who's playing, Max Schreck, who's playing Count Orlock. They're sitting around a campfire, and they say, So, Schreck, what is it that made you like this? <laughs> so, yeah, it was woman. It, uh, and Defoe starts mumbling in this weird monologue, and out, suddenly he reaches up, and out of the air he pulls a bat and bites its head off. And there's this moment of silence, and Eddie Izzard leans forward and says, 
Shrek, the German theater needs you. <laughs> Best scene in the movie. Just amazing. Uh, but uh, Vince says of it, the expressionist gothic vibe and iconic scenes, This that might not be terrifying anymore, but it still amazes and creeps you out. I am not a fan of slasher or torture horror. It just repulses me. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, me too. Terrific answers. But Mike, what about you? What's what's your horror, favorite horror film and why? Ah, uh, you know, I... Mm. It was a tough choice, but um, Ilsa, She Wolf of the SS. <laughs> you are going to get such a pinch. Would you rather I said Zangief's ass? <laughs> <laughs> At this point? <laughs> it's been a long time. There's two films. There are horror films, and both of them have comedy elements to them, one more so than the other. One of them is Evil Dead 2. Evil oh. Dead 2 is just a delight. Yes, it's a <laughs> horror film. It's not really very scary, and it is actually really, if you look at it closely, a remake of Evil Dead 1, except better. Yeah. Sam Raimi uh, basically reshooting his own film with like 10 extra dollars. <clears throat> except we get introduced... And Bruce Campbell. It has Bruce Campbell in it, which is, you know, I'll watch anything with Bruce Campbell in it. Even... Briscoe County Jr., which is saying a lot. (laughs) The other one is also a sort of a remake, kind of, sort of, but it's not, and it does have comedy elements in it, and that is a film called Return of the Living Dead, which is not related to the Living Dead series. It wasn't done by George Romero or anything. No, but it references them, and the whole idea was, what if that movie wasn't fake? What if they were trying to tell us something? And it Mm. turns out there were these barrels of... Illudium Pew 38, which the (laughs) government found was causing issues, and they bottled it all up and all the dead bodies and stuff, and they put it in storage, and it was supposed to go to a secure storage facility, and instead they got shipped to this medical supply warehouse out in New Jersey or something. Uh. And of course... One character accidentally knocks open one of the cans. Yes, (laughs) Yes, and zombies. And this is where we get the lines, send more cops, send more paramedics. (laughs) I know you're in there because I can smell your brain. I love you. Let me eat your brain. Yes, (laughs) I enjoy the film. I've seen it recently. It still holds up just as much as it did. I think I originally saw it on video with a friend of ours. And, you know, I'm not a huge horror, horror movie fan, but... Those two just kind of tickle me both for, you know, fulfilling the horror definition, if you will, but also being funny in places. Uh, Not a very happy ending on that film, but it involves a nuclear warhead, but there you go. Yeah. But Max, what about you? I know you do not like horror films, which is why you wouldn't have asked the question. Yeah, I, I... I have a weird relationship with horror films. I don't like being scared, but I really like supernatural uh, movies. Oh. And a lot of those are horror movies. I would even go as far as to say most of them. Yeah, probably most of them. But, so, it's hard to pick a favorite because I really don't enjoy them. Alien, I think, is, is really well done. I think it's a great science fiction horror movie. In terms of one that I actually kind of enjoy watching... I'd go with Shaun of the Dead, mm. which is both mostly funny, but also kind of horrible. Well, it's Simon Pegg, right? And yeah, I, it's Simon I, Pegg and Nick Frost, part of the Cornetto trilogy, yeah. And I'd probably watch anything with Simon Pegg in it, too. Yeah. 
So yeah, I, I would say those. But oh. again, those were great answers from everybody except Mike. And <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, that Elsa. was good too. Elsa. We we pre- <laughs> <laughs> Truly a horrible <laughs> film. Please, nobody look it up. I didn't. Somebody told me recently it's part of a series. I think Vince did. And it's like, wait, there's more than one of these. Ah. <laughs> I bet I, if we ever do another You Can't Make Me, You Can't Make Me series, I know what Mike is going to make me watch. <laughs> I probably can't even find a copy of it. But your reward for your hard work is more hard work. Ah, where there's a whip, there's a way. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Ralph there's, Bakshi. There's a deeper. No, no, that wasn't Bakshi. That was Rankin Bass. Was it? Oh, that's right, because that was yeah. in the, the yeah the the Hobbit. Yeah, that was in the that was in the Hobbit. That was the the one we speak not of. The Return of the King. Oh, the finishing up of yes. the uh, Ralph Bakshi. Y- yes. Uh, Lord of the no, Rings, the, yeah. no, 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 nope, nope. Wow, you crow, you've got everything wrong. This was a another Rankin Bass that was done in the same style as their version of The Hobbit, but it came out like 10, 20 years later and was only released on TV. Yeah, but was, the thing was is that Bakshi never finished The Lord of the Rings. This was sort of the animated finish to that. You could argue that, but they, the two productions had nothing to do with each other. No, I know, but that's why they yeah. only did that instead of the uh, whole thing. So oh, yeah. I didn't get everything wrong. It's Max who is, of course, wrong. Well, I mean, I'm just so used to the other thing. But <laughs> I can understand Regardless, that. Regardless, your next poll question, as we've done hard, it's like, what is your favorite comedy team, duo Ooh. or other? Ooh. Duo or more, really. You know, there could be three of them, five of them, however many. i got to go with Let Elsa She-Wolf of the SS. <laughs> oh, yeah? And who? Who's her, who's her comedy partner? Hmm? Uh, the SS. <laughs> those wacky, yeah, those wacky SS. Oh dear, yeah, that, yeah. This is not your favorite comedian, not a single. It's got to be a team, mm. however many members. And at the end of the show, I will tell you the great secret of how to tell us your answer, which great nobody secret. knows, Ooh. because it's hidden in a haunted castle. Ooh. We only told you two hundred and forty-seven times. <laughs> yes, but first we have. Facts. Okay, I want to start out, first of all, a lot of people probably do either don't know or don't remember a lot about Jer- when Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis were a comedy duo and box office megastars. They started, so I'm going to just give a little background. They started working together in 1946, and they stayed together 10 years almost exactly to the day. They started out doing the nightclub circuit, and they eventually did radio, TV, and movies. They had a show called The Martin and Lewis Show, which started out on the radio in 1949, moved to television around 1950, and it stayed on the air until 1953. According to a 1951 article in Life magazine, they were the highest paid act in show business of the time. Keep in mind, we got John Wayne in this era. This is the early 50s. There were some big friggin' stars. They were the highest paid. For their movies, they would usually get about a combined salary of about $75,000. To give you an idea, in today's money, that's about $943,000. It was a lot back then. Yeah, comparatively today, though, it's nothing. Mm. It's almost scale. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the act broke up in 1956 for reasons, and the two both went on to have enormously successful careers on their own and never, didn't speak to each other for 20 years. So, you know, Martin went on. This was the Martin and Lewis era was before the Rat Pack. Right. 
that he went on, that's when he became a superstar, when he started hanging with Frank Sinatra and doing movies, doing the Matt Helm series, doing the Westerns. And Jerry Lewis, he got, a t he got a $10 million contract to do movies with, I think it was Universal. Wow. Yeah. Now, I have had the hardest time trying to find out what the budget for these movie, any of these Martin and Lewis movies were. They were generally, as I understand it, around six to eight hundred thousand dollars. Seems about right. I cannot, I can't swear to that. On average, and by the way, they all consistently made between three and five million dollars. <laughs> now, they made this movie we're seeing today is the ninth of sixteen movies they made in ten years. Sixteen movies. That's more than there have been Star Wars movies. I see, I so went that it was sixteen movies in eight years. It might, uh, maybe it was. They were. That's true. Actually, they didn't start making movies in, immediately. So yeah, they would put out two or three a year. And uh, apparently, if you take put together all the box office take for all sixteen movies and adjust for inflation, they made over two billion dollars. <laughs> yeah. Wow. These guys were immensely successful. They had mobs of fans. This movie was based on a stage play from 1909 called The Ghost Breaker. There have been, before this one, three additional film adaptations, two of them silent, one of those directed by Cecil B. DeMille. I wish this one had been silent. Oops! <laughs> yeah. The director for this one, George Marshall, also directed the 1940 version. I guess he thought, we're going to get this right eventually. One of You may have noticed in the credits, this is the first credit for a young writer named Norman Lear, who went on to become king of television. Pretty much. This is also the final film of Carmen Miranda. Oh. I'll remember as Chiquita Banana. <laughs> what happened to her? had a heart attack when she was 46. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, it came out of nowhere. She was doing a show with Jimmy Durante, dropped to one knee. He asked if she wanted her to, him to cover her lines. She said, nope, it's okay. Got up, finished the show, went back to her hotel room, and collapsed in the bathroom. Never woke up. Yikes. Yeah. That's sad. Sad. She actually she brought Brazilian music to this country. She popularized samba. She was an interesting figure in and of herself. She was worth on her own episode, but we have to keep moving. The previous year, 1952, uh, Dean, Dino and Jerry made an uncredited gag appearance in one of Bing Crosby and Bob Hope's road movies, oh. The Road to Bali. That is why Hope and Crosby returned the favor with the cameo in this film where they have no lines. Well, see, I thought part of it also was the fact that this the movie that this is remaking, The Ghost Breakers, starred Bob Hope. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> they, owed a, they owed a favor. I see. Well, yeah. I'm so glad they paid that back. It really mm -hmm. changed it, it the movie a lot. <laughs> <clears throat> a couple little in-jokes. When Dean looks at an old mining lantern and reads out loud, Made in Scranton, that's uh, Lizbeth Scott, his co-star, Mary, is from Scranton. Ah. <laughs> it's funny. And when <laughs> Dean looks around the gold mine and says, reminds me of my hotel room in Steubenville, that's his actual hometown, Steubenville, Ohio. Ah. Yes. I timed this and they're right. This is considered their sort of entry into the comedy horror genre. They don't actually get to the haunted house 
until an hour and 18 minutes into the movie, leaving us a half an hour of Haunted House. Yeah. And I know, Mike, you spotted the other great cameo in this movie, <laughs> uncredited, which is a travesty of justice, in the as an elevator operator, Earl Holloman! <laughs> yes, Earl Holloman, known for Policewoman and... Um, not much else. Not much else. Well, Forbidden but, Planet. Yes. Well, yeah, true, true. He's in Forbidden And you planet. can't take that away from him. <laughs> you cannot. He also was later co-star with Dean Martin in The Sons of Katie Elder in 1965. Earl Holloman! Earl Holloman! <laughs> <laughs> That's a deeper. Yep. The band leader at the Chit Chat Club. Get it? Get it? Chit Chat, Kit Kat, yeah, yeah. Is Dick Stabile. Band leader for many episodes of the Colgate Comedy Hour, hosted by Martin and Lewis. That's where I knew. No, no, I've never heard of it. Yeah. That. Now, Mr. Cortega, the maybe evil, may not be evil lawyer, is played by George Dolenz. Oh no! Who is? Yes. <laughs> He is. Did he take the, the last train to Clarksville? He did, uh, and had a very pleasant Valley Sunday. She she told me that she loved me. <laughs> yes, well, I'm going to buy me a dog. Yes, he was the father of Mickey Dolan's of the monkeys. And then he had to stay with Auntie Griselda. <laughs> wow, that was painful. Uh, to give you an idea, of uh, this film was even lower budget than you might think. Some of the footage from the 1940s Grogo's Breakers is reused here. I, I bet that's like, not the only thing that's reused. Yeah, like the trunk almost falling when it's on the getting on the boat to Cuba. I was wondering about that, by the way. They talk about going to Cuba like it's nothing. And that's, of course, because the embargo against Cuba didn't go into, into effect until 1962. Mm. Cuba was a big vacation spot. There's... Literally not much else about this movie in terms of trivia. Hmm. It's a couple of other appearances that we'll get to. But uh, that's pretty much it, unless you know something. I mean, when we were looking up a film to watch, because we were trying to, you know, sift through the great miasma of <laughs> Martin and Lewis and try to pick which one, this was one of the films that popped up a lot on the top of top ten lists of their movies. Hmm. So this is at least critically considered probably the best of their bunch so if you've never mm -hmm. seen a martin and lewis film and we're thinking to watch one that's why we chose this one yeah that's about it but um now the fun part <laughs> yeah yeah the plot larry dean martin and curly i'm uh, sorry myron Jer <laughs> jerry lewis are best pals who work in a nightclub Larry sings, and Myron is a busboy who routinely gets dragged on stage to be ritually humiliated. Larry has been canoodling with the girlfriend of a mobster named Shorty, who clearly does not understand that mobster nicknames are supposed to be menacing. <laughs> Realizing Shorty knows about Larry's picadillos, Myron goes over to his hotel to confront him, and Larry follows to protect Myron. Over there, they meet Mary, who has inherited a haunted castle and is being harassed by... Oh, come on! <laughs> kidding the plot is completely irrelevant it's just an excuse for dean martin to pick song cues out of the air and for jerry lewis to spasmodically flop around the screen screeching like an electrocuted howler monkey the story is meaningless and just a cinematic pegboard to hang random musical numbers and various martin and lewis sticks yeah yeah hidden treasure zombies rubber bats weird cameos happy ending no one cares it's singing and mugging and flailing oh my the film. Great, Max. You've just done the entire show. 
<laughs> I have. Good night, everybody. <laughs> By the way, I should point out the show, the bits that they show Martin and Lewis when they're performing on stage, when they're acting, you know, when they're at the Chit Chat Club or they're, for some reason, Carmen Miranda lets them perform with her. That was their act. That was the kind of stuff they used to do. Oh, no, no, no. Even better than that, the opening where Myron is causing yes, trouble and stuff, boy. that literally was their first yes. popular act. Um, it was where he was, a, basically, Dean was up singing and Jerry Lewis would stagger on stage pretending to be a waiter and dropping plates. Right. That that was, Or he would be off stage and start heckling. Basically, the whole thing was Jerry coming in and messing with Dean's songs. I read some stuff about this, by the way. Apparently, critically, this... No one's exactly sure how this was accepted originally when it was done in the clubs. People who talk about Jerry Lewis, the people, his fans say, oh, people just loved it. Dean Martin was almost completely ignored until Jerry started doing this stuff. Other people, including, I believe, Dean's daughter, say, yeah, you would get the audience member screaming at Jerry to shut up and let the man sing. I'm so, willing to bet it's both. Yeah. I, I bet you had both at one time or another at different shows. Because one of the things that I read was basically they, Jerry Lewis did his thing where he often would lip sync and do wacky things to another yeah. person's music. And the guy was sick and Dean Martin was playing the same club. So it's like, hey, why don't we get together and do this thing? Uh. And initially, they're act whatever it originally was was not successful and they were threatened by the guy who had hired them to kick them out if they didn't do something to make it better they mm. came up with the shtick we see in this movie and this I apparently was it. wildly successful and they had shows up and down the east coast including ending i think at the copacabana which is like you know a big night spot that was that was the big night spot for a long time and that's what led to yep. this um among other things a funny thing though is to me when there's the point where there's a skit that Dean Martin <laughs> offers to let Jerry be, I'm sorry, Larry lets Myron be a part of, which generally involves um, Larry beating the crap out of Myron. <laughs> and one of my notes was, I wonder if this is all acting. Um, uh, <laughs> I was sitting there going, well, at least this is entertaining. It was very brutal in a it way. It was. It was kind of mean. Yeah, there's three parts. There's Dean's part, there's Jerry's part, and then there's uh, Rosie's part, this this, um, yeah. this plot. Div I'm sorry, this, this showgirl who's off to the <laughs> yeah. side. and This is Shorty's girlfriend. Yeah, and Myron keeps saying, well, I, I don't like my part. I want a different part. I want your part. Okay, so it's switch parts. But you don't get beat up. Yeah, and of course... <laughs> He gets beat then, up anyway, and he even gets yeah. to play Rosie at one point, and then basically the two guys are like, hey, what are we fighting for? She's the one causing all this. Yeah, let's beat on her. Yeah. And it's like, okay. Yeah. And it was, yeah, and of course, talking about it is kind of funny. Yeah. Watching but, it, well, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. I do have to say, the opening shot, I kind of like the whole, they're doing the spooky music, and there's thunder and lightning, but it's not like a haunted house. It's the New York skyline. Yeah, but you know what it feels like? It feels like we're about to see a Bugs Bunny cartoon. <laughs> it, uh, it. I was thinking it was like one of those shots in Gilligan's Island where they're oh. shooting the mad scientist castle or it's one of the dream sequences. Sure. Mm -hmm. Or the, the, the Japanese sailor or the <laughs> whatever yeah. else that Vito Scotti played that week. Yeah. yeah. I also, when they find out that they uh, call the mob boss Big Boy, of course, all I'm thinking <laughs> is... Big boy did it. Big boy did it. You know, Dick oh, Tracy, Al Pacino. Performance yep. we will never forget. The rest yep. of the movie probably will, but not not Dustin Hoffman. He really stood out in that film. 
Yeah. We usually go through the actors, and here it's it's literally a bunch of guys in in there. Uh, Rosie is a slightly has a slightly bigger part, and that's she the, disappears about seven minutes into the movie. Well, and then we the other female lead is uh, Mary, Mary Carroll, played by Elizabeth Scott. Yeah, Dorothy Malone plays Rosie, and the thing mm-hmm. with her characters, I literally can't figure out her angle because the first yeah. thing we see is she has this this bus or this waiter that she gets together with, even though she's the girlfriend of the big mop boss of town who owns the club and whatever. And the first thing we see is the waiter gets called away and basically killed. <laughs> and yeah, then wacky. we see her we see her making a date to go and uh, it's actually quite racy the way they talk about it. Basically go, "Hey, you want to go screw in a phone booth?" Yeah, that yeah. sounds great to me. And it, it turns much. out that she's setting him up for the same I can't figure out her angle. Cuz yeah, she's told it, Shorty about her being with Larry and she hasn't even been with him yet. Or maybe mm. she has. I don't know. We don't know. Yeah, that she is basically just a plot device. Yeah. And, you know, Rose, uh, sorry, Mary is a damsel in distress. Elizabeth Scott does a decent job. Sure. She just does not have anything to do. No. Except. Except. Mm-hmm. Well, literally, I think we're watching this movie, and out of nowhere, the B plot comes into dock. And yeah. <laughs> we have to, because it's like, oh, here we are on a ship, which has nothing to do with that club or that boss or, or the mob or anything. But, hey, what about that castle you're going to inherit? Hmm? Except he's Spanish. <laughs> and they have, the, then they start doing these odd shticks, like Myron starts having a conversation with his own reflection, who for some reason does a completely different voice. Wasn't that weird? That was un- off-putting and strange, because also... He leans out of the mirror several times. So I was like, oh, is, is Myron having a psychotic break? I mean, he's having, it's, a, it's very well shot. It's yeah. obviously, it's a split screen, and the whole leaning out of the movie is unexpected. But instead of being funny, it just comes off as weird. Yeah. It's, it's I don't, it was almost creepy. Yeah. I don't. I don't think it worked. It's odd because there's a couple of lines in there that I think do. I still like when Dean is, you know, it's trying to sneak his. Sorry, Larry. Oh, why are we bothering? <laughs> they, they play this. They do. They do. I. I looked at some of the other clips and I read. They always do the same characters. They're uh-huh. playing Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, or at least Dean Martin. Their personas. Yeah. They're playing the same thing, and. Uh, when Dean is, keeps running into all of Shorty's gang members in the hall, and he just looks around and goes, hot and cold running gangsters. <laughs> I liked that. I thought that was good. Yeah, yeah it's cute. Uh, I would say really quickly, she's not really an actor in this, but Carmen Miranda, I have never seen her. She is one of those presences that has been in a half a dozen, if not more, uh, Warner Brothers cartoons. She's been in MGM cartoons. She just, like, everybody knows her with the fruit hat, and I've never seen her perform. And not only was she good, but I'm sitting there looking at her going... She's a muscular woman. She is very. She was a very powerful dancer. She was very strong, and had incredible endurance. And also, well, those hats weighed like twenty pounds. It's yeah. hard to dance with something like that on your head. She also had a weird she, scar. She, <laughs> she was a huge. She was a huge star in her time. She was in a movie called uh, the uh, was it Coconut? No, it was called the Copacabana with Groucho Marx. His only solo movie. Oh, or his first solo movie. Well, and of course, this is the reason. It's because of her 
that when you get arrested, people, the police person yes. has to tell you your rights. <laughs> your Carmen Miranda rights. Yes, See? you have the right to wear a fruit hat. Yes. Yeah. No, I was surprised. I, you know, I did. I, I, we've only seen animation. I've only seen animation make fun of her, and I'm like, I totally see why people would go to see her. And quite honestly, every time we saw a different nightclub, all I could think of is. Why don't they have things like this anymore? I would totally yeah. go. This looks really yeah. cool. I'd they get don't dressed up. Nice food, nice drinks, a nice performance. Big floor show. Yeah. Oh, man. Those looked awesome. And you would see everybody there. All the big stars would want... The, even when they became famous, they would go back to the nightclubs because they liked the, the venue. Yeah. Or the owner, or the owner had something on them. Um, well, whatever. But it's like every time I see these in movies and stuff, it's like I just... Miss the fact that there will never be anything like this ever again. And yeah, yes, it was a high society thing, I suppose, and it was probably ridiculously not expensive. Always. But not always. A lot of just regular people they would save up and they would go like once or twice a year. Yeah. I mean, it's true. None of those people were black because they weren't allowed in. Oh, they were. It, they were allowed to play, and they were allowed to work in the kitchen. Right. But but so. that aside, yes. No, that was. It's true. People with money went more often, but they weren't. At least a lot of them weren't that exclusive. It wasn't like, oh, you haven't been in the society pages. You can't come in. It's yeah. like, hmm, can you pay your bill? Come on in. Well, that was the whole plot of I Love Lucy. He worked and mm. eventually owned the Tropicana, which was a club in New York, and people would go. Mm. And it's like, I would totally do that. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I will say, if you find Jerry Lewis annoying, we'll get to that. If you... <laughs> You should, you, the audience can't see. I have never seen anybody actually mime buttoning their lip without using their hands before, <laughs> but Max just buttoned his lip without yeah. using his hands. Thank if you, you find you. Jerry Lewis annoying, there is actually a character in this film that is more annoying than Jerry Lewis. Oh, are you talking about the drunk? Yes. Do you know who that was? No. That was an actor named Frank Fontaine. Who is best known as his part as Crazy Guggenheim? It was crazy. I wondered it if was. it might be another yep. character I've never seen but heard of or heard about. You know the name because it's distinctive. Yeah, he was on. Uh, was it Jackie Gleason? I think it was or, Jackie Gleason show. It was Jackie Gleason show. He was a running character. Yeah, that is Crazy Guggenheim. Man, is he annoying! Oh Lord, is he ever! And he shows up just to do locked in the trunk gags and stuff, and it's yeah, just not. I just it's like so glad at one point he leaves and I was like oh thank God and then he wanders back or I should say staggers back into the film yeah. and I can't tell if he was meant to or not but it's like just please <laughs> get him out of this film you pretending to be a cop he won't he'll believe you just take him out of here <laughs> yeah and then there's uh, William Ching who plays Tony Warren who is there I don't know no, yeah. okay I have to ask you as soon as he showed up did you go oh he's behind everything. I did. I said, oh, here's the bad guy. <laughs> yep. My me. first thought was, is that Peter Graves? No, it's not. Okay. Because he, <laughs> he kind of looks. Like, he has a Gravesnish about him, doesn't he? He does. I, I was like, I know that guy. I've seen that guy. I cannot remember what. He was in the Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn movie that we saw, Pat and Mike. Oh. He was the big dumb boxer. Okay. Yep. He looks like a. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he should have stuck to doing that, really. But yeah, uh, oh, don't forget Jack other, uh, Lambert as zombie. Yeah, Jack Lambert as the zombie. Yeah, Jack Lambert. If you've seen a western ever from anywhere from the '40s to the '60s, you've seen Jack Lambert. He's he plays a bad guy in every in all of them. Usually just a thug. Oh, there. I, I do want to mention one other 
sort of odd connection. Shorty, the gangster, who mm. is in two scenes, yeah. is Leonard Strong, who we all know from Get Smart as The Claw. Uh, the Craw? The Craw. <laughs> Done up complete with bad eye makeup. Oh. Yes, that is The Craw. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. What so a career that... he had. <laughs> yeah, racial stereotypes and racism. Yeah, hmm. yeah that's this. That's um, I have a question for you, and yeah. I, I looked it up to make sure that I was—I I knew the technical answer. But would you consider this a screwball comedy? I guess, yeah, because things go wrong a lot. There's romance in it, kind of. <laughs> but I would say it's borderline. I thought it was more comedy horror. So apparently, screw, and I thought the same thing. I wonder if that's what this was. Although mm -hmm. this, the era of the screwball, screwball comedy had ended by the time this came out. Technically, the screwball comedy generally centers around a love plot where the traditional roles of the men and the women are reversed. Mm. So we okay, don't really so get that here. Although, no, if you true. want to consider Jerry part of a love triangle, I suppose. <laughs> I think so. Come on. The way, those two are all over each other. Jerry and, oh, by, and Dean. And Jerry and yeah, Myron and Larry. By the way, if you ever want a drinking game. <gasps> no, don't. <laughs> yep. Every no. time Jerry says the name Larry, take a drink. Well, actually, no, seriously, don't, because you will be dead of alcohol poisoning in 20 minutes. I have the same note. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the exact same note. Do not play the Larry drinking yeah. game. Larry, oh, Larry, Larry. Over and over. Apparently, this was considered hilarious. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Um, I also love. You can tell a film is going to be great when, at some point in the movie, somebody says the uh, title of the movie. Yes, that's. I, I have that. Yep. And we have the title right from Jerry's mouth. I'm scared stiff. Yeah, but. Dun, 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 dun. But we also get the origin of and where they stole it from yeah, yeah. the Ghostbusters. <laughs> the turn, I believe, and I, I tried to look this up. I couldn't get a lot of confirmation, but a few, but others do agree with me. This is the first cinematic use of the term Ghostbusters. Yeah, because originally it was Ghostbreaker, and then. Of course, we in the 70s, we'd have two versions of it. We'd have a cartoon, and yep. we'd have a live-action version with Larry Storch and Forrest Tucker. And <laughs> wait, wait, didn't, I thought the cartoon came out after the movie in the 80s. I don't know. I but, I don't no, know. it was 70s. All, I, I, I thought think so. so. Hey, I, somebody write us in and tell yeah, us. Yeah, let us know, because I, I I, I'm positive you're right about the live-action one. I'm pretty sure the live-action came was 70s, first. Cause, yeah, because that was Sid and Marty Croft era. Era, but it wasn't them. It wasn't them. It just it should have been. I actually know the name of the actor who played Tracy the gorilla, and that was Bob Burns, who made a career playing a guy in a gorilla suit. I kid you yeah, not. You f you find your niche, you stick with it. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, if you really want to know where they ripped off the Ghostbusters <laughs> from, it's this movie. Where's the outrage? Yeah. I want to had a note here. Um, yeah. There sure is a lot of singing in this movie. <laughs> Yeah, this movie is technically also a musical because hey! there's no, no, it is because there's not just when they sing on stage. Dean Martin will break into song, just cause. Yeah. Whether on the boat, or or in a dressing room, or whatever, he just starts a singing. Yeah, and then Myron will, or Jerry Lewis will break into that. Yeah. And I do mean break in oh yeah because yeah. the plot really the plot, plot the plot takes a step forward only to run smack dab face first into a song which yeah. then slows it back down again so yep 
stops it completely. And this movie has a number of like plot elements that are right out of the old melodramas. There's a character who initially gets killed. It's uh, Ramon... What the hell was Somebody. his last name? Ramon... Suspect. Nobody cares. Yeah, <laughs> R- R- Ramon Plot Device. Oh, Cariso. That's right. Plato Diviso. <laughs> yeah. And he's killed early on, but he keeps he shows up again once we it's, see his face. But it's not him. It's not him. It's his, yes, identical twin. Yeah. Francisco. Sure. Dun dun dun. Yeah, and I my my note was wait, the dead guy just showed up? Huh? Yeah. Well, there's also this plot part. So Dean Martin spends the first I don't know, half of the movie thinking he killed Ramon. Yeah. Because of a... Oh, it's not that far. It's only like 20 minutes. Because he, there's a weird... A wacky hijink happens. Ha <laughs> ha! Gun deaths are funny. Well, no, he doesn't find out until the next day on the boat. Yeah. And, yeah, and who, here's one of the things I had a problem with is Jerry Lewis's character, Myron, is really inconsistent. Yeah. Because he's the one who figures out that Larry can't have killed Ramon because of the caliber of their guns is not the same. How does he know what a caliber is? Well, how does he know what spaghetti is? I mean, his <laughs> they character... play him as he's as he's incredibly stupid. So, well, but... and I'm, we're not even sure what he's supposed to be. Is he? Are they making fun of mentally challenged people? Are they making fun of the fact that he's just? you know, two by four stupid. Mm. He's just inconsistent. It's just goofy. And this is the um, genius, if you will. Yes, he's actually a savant. Sure. But yeah, he just like out of nowhere says, oh, well, Larry, it can't be you because you carry a 38 and he was killed with a 32. Yeah. And it's like, A, how do you know what a caliber is? B, how do you remember the caliber of the gun that you happen to know that whatever because then we get to we get on the boat and then we're on a boat um there's a plot about the bad guys the the mob guys coming after larry and apparently somewhere on the boat the mob gives up and just leaves yeah apparently they swim home or something they just yeah there's the mob just leaves the movie it does, it stops being about gangsters it stops being a, sort of vaguely like uh some like it hot. Yeah. And becomes a and, and becomes a monster a horror movie sort of. Well, I mean, we get to Scooby Doo Island and then the hijinks oh, yeah. really I had so many <laughs> Scooby Doo notes in this. It really you know whoever worked on Scooby Doo must have seen this movie. Oh sure. Or the even in the Bob Hope one on which it was based. Yeah. I was wondering if you'd find out in the trivia and I totally understand why you might not have been able to. It's like, are these sets literally left over from the nineteen thirty three Dracula film? Because it really looks like they are. I it didn't say anything about that. I don't think that's true because there was a huge staircase in that one that dominated the center of the set. And well, there no, wasn't the, the basement though had those low arches. The base, yeah. The the crypt might have been, but I think that was just sort of a standard uh, set that they would take apart and put together. Mm, maybe. Yeah, I, I don't know. I couldn't find anything about that. Well, but when you pointed out the fact that I think it was 52 and 53, they made three movies each of yeah, those years. Yeah. I was like, these have to be done on like as small a budget as possible, as much as money as yeah. they're making, because you just don't have time. Three movies in one year? That's insane. Yeah. It's practically like a grindhouse. Yeah, but it's, you know, of course they each got, what, $37,500, so we Some, know we're yeah. all... The- like six hundred thousand, and they get. Hmm. I'm not sure if it was six hundred. Might have been lower. The budget might have been a lot lower because well, the the returns on those movies were staggering. I also would just want to hope that they. And it's whatever I think of Martin and Lewis. I would hope that they got points because, dear gods, 
16 movies in eight years, that's insane. Absolutely insane. I don't know if they did, because back then I don't think that was a thing. I don't think the actors ever got a percentage of the movie. I think that didn't come until the 60s or 70s. Well, I, I read that they did have total control, and this is, you don't even see this nowadays, they had total control over their music, mostly Dean, Yeah. over their radio show, over pretty much everything. They, they had, had complete control. script approval, and that was almost unheard of. Yeah, and so that means that uh, if you want to, you can blame them uh, <laughs> there's a point where as you pointed out uh we get to see behind this wall we get to see bob hope and bing crosby yeah which is a reference that i think is lost today i i know that they did their road to movies i've never seen one i saw one a long time ago and it's a lot of fourth wall breaking a lot of smirking at the camera well, that's all Bob Hope could that's do. That's what Bob Hope does, yeah. Yeah, and let's face it, I did you ever find Bob Hope funny? I'm honestly trying to think. No, I don't think I did. He just, and maybe his kind of humor didn't work for me because, by God, it worked for an awful lot of people, and I respected him for going over into war zones and we're doing USO shows. Yeah. But, no, I never thought he was particularly funny. And here, he proves it. Well, um, he, has, he has no lines, so no, this well, is probably he just makes his best that performance. Face. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, I would say, brought me out of the movie, but I think that's um, yeah. really damning it a bit too much. But the last shot of the film... Oh, God. They break the fourth wall, and they basically... Every, the three major characters, Mary, Larry, and Myron, turn to the camera and basically wish every you know, good night that's and thanks for end. coming. Yeah. What it's did you think of that? that? That's all, folks. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think of that? I thought that I, it was completely inconsistent. I didn't get it. I, I thought it was... Uh, jarring and it didn't fit mm. and we've yeah. talked about this before in most movies we've seen somebody break the fourth wall it does not work i think the only one actually we've not done that movie but we mentioned it the one movie i can think of where it actually works is ferris bueller mm. that's true i've seen some where it works i am hard pressed <laughs> To, to pull any out, out of the air at this point. Yeah. Although one we're going to be checking out soon uh, kind of works. I thought the first Deadpool movie, I thought it worked. Oh, oh you're almost giving something away. Yep. Yeah. But don't go in a secret, no, secret, no, secret. No, big secret. What did you think of the pacing? The pacing, for the most part, wasn't bad. It's just, as you say, every so often it would slam into the wall of a musical number. Yeah. The rest of it, I thought wasn't bad. I mean, it wasn't brilliant, but it was tolerable. It moved along. I thought the movie was surprisingly long. Yeah, it's an hour and three quarters, which is... That for a comedy, especially of that era, that's kind of long. Yeah. I'd, I'd say you could have chopped about half an hour yeah. out and yeah. with it. I also, how cringy is that enchilada number that they do? Well, never mind the fact, why are they doing it? Are we yes. supposed to believe, oh, uh, sure, Myron at one point helped out Carmen Miranda. Huh? <laughs> uh, uh, by spilling something on her, which is apparently what Myron can do. Yeah, and she got fired and got a much better job, so she thanks him. But now, for no apparent reason, they're in all her numbers on the trip to Cuba. Yeah. Which yeah. is, yeah, the enchilada number is... is um, yeah. Racially pretty, pretty, offen pretty offensive. <laughs> also, because they aren't enchiladas in Brazil, they're enchilados or panque panquecas. Whatever. I looked that up. Uh, I was kind of surprised. They talk about voodoo for no reason in this movie. Yeah, there's no voodoo and in yes, Cuba. There is voodoo in Brazil. Yeah. And there is some, in, there was some in Cuba. 
But and then the whole zombie thing doesn't even end up being anything. Yeah, it's like, oh, this guy, her son is a zombie. You, what? It was yes, you know, because his father was a zombie, and they come from a long line of zombies. And for a zombie, <laughs> he's also got some remarkable comic shtick going on. Well, he he gets into the suit of armor like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Yeah, <laughs> and allows himself How to be reposed. How does a zombie put on a full set of field plate? Oh, you'll not stop <laughs> laughing. <laughs> it, it it's, so but it's literally Scooby-Doo. of course Scooby Doo got it from this. But there's that episode of the Riverboat with uh, Scooby-Doo where there's the witch who has the zombie son or whatever. It's the same thing, except it literally has no bearing on anything. Nope. And we get some ghost just effects. just be a henchman. Yeah, we get some ghost effects that are never explained. Yeah, there's apparently a real ghost, but maybe he isn't, but we don't know. Yeah. So the, the, the there's a lot of aspects to this film that honestly feel both thrown in and utterly mm. unexplained. Yeah, they just the ending is incredibly rushed. Yeah, I mean, apart well, from just the wandering around the haunted house, like, oh, dad, dad, I'm so scared. It's very scary with the thing. Well, we have to wait for the evil vi- Mr. Simmons to show up in the yeah. gold mine underneath yeah. the castle yeah. and old go. Ma- I was sitting there going, old man Warren. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Jenkins. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my glasses. But it, it literally is he shows up and it's like, okay, you guys get up against the wall. And then, and you by know, the way, there's gold here. And that's why I'm doing this and why I've done all these other things that I'm going to hastily explain plot points that haven't been explained and oh, I'm dead. Yeah, because Myron takes a uh, dump on his head or something. I, you know, so, <laughs> no, no, it doesn't matter. No, yeah. it doesn't matter at all. But there's there's a lot of oddness in this film and I think the only way we can really explain it is to unless you have any other notes you want to go over. No, it's covered everything. Is to get to the end and the part where yeah. I say... The finish. So, Max. Yeah. We had never seen... We never. Now, why have... I'll ask you first. Why have you never sat down and watched one of the most lauded comedic mm. actors in his cinema history, at least in the West, and never <sighs> tried to appreciate the comedic brilliance of Jerry Lewis? Because on some of the UHF channels in New York, when I would be visiting my grandparents, they would play... Martin and Lewis movies, or just Jerry Lewis movies in the afternoons on the weekends. And if I was bored, I would channel flip, and I would watch part of one of one, and I could never watch more than five minutes. It's like, I was a kid, and I'm still going, what's wrong with this guy? (laughs) I, I just found Jerry Lewis immensely annoying. The odd thing is, I had an album of him singing children's songs, like I'm Five, and Little Kids, and a few others, and those are adorable. He does those really well. Hmm. He, was, he was really good at doing a little kid character. It was surprising. I just always found him annoying, and I didn't... And whenever I'd see the, any scene with Dean Martin, he would be singing, and I'm like, well, you know, I'm a kid. I want comedy. I don't care about a crooner. And while I think Dean Martin has a nice voice, it's not my kind of music, this wasn't my kind of humor. I just... It just didn't work for me, so I never bothered to sit down and watch a whole movie. How about you? What? what how well, did, well, but, well, now we have to follow yeah. that up because now yeah. you're an adult. Now you have actually studied cinema. I regret nothing. <laughs> I um, I don't under. I am baffled, and it's not just the times. The Marx Brothers predated these guys, and I love the Marx Brothers. I have I, Laurel and Hardy are not my favorites, but I get why they're funny. 
Even the Three Stooges for about 90 seconds can be very funny. <laughs> no, honestly, I, can t I think they're hilarious in very small doses. I can't watch anything full length or even a full sketch. Martin and Lewis, I don't get. I just don't. And Jerry Lewis in particular. Now, I sorry. Dean Martin went on to become a, a lot more talented, I think. And when he does comedy, he can be very funny. I liked the Matt Helm movies. I think he has that nice kind of self-deprecating, sly humor. Jerry Lewis's humor just did not work for me. The thing I liked best was people who make fun of Jerry Lewis or are trying to do impressions of him. It's a lot like the Three Stooges. I don't think they're funny, but when people are riffing off of them or doing what if the you know, what if the Three Stooges were neurosurgeons, <laughs> that and it's the same with when. Uh, there's an, I'm sorry, I'm going on very long, but right. there's an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where Data is trying to learn about oh. human comedy, and he summons up a comedian, and for some reason they thought Joe Piscopo would be a good choice. Hey, at, a, at certain points in time, Joe Piscopo was funny. That is true. And at one point, he's trying to show Data different types of humor, and he, he basically does his Jerry Lewis impression. And watching Joe Piscopo and Brent Spiner doing dueling Jerry Lewis impressions is funny as hell. <laughs> and I'm afraid when Data says, so putting on strange hair, oversized teeth, and acting like an idiot is funny. <laughs> like, yeah, you kind of summed him up. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, when you do it, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What about you? What kept you away from it all these years? It's sort of the same thing. Our local TV station, UHF stations, were TV 38 and TV 56. And TV yeah. 56, on Saturdays, if you were lucky, you'd get the Creature Double Feature or the Creature Feature, which is one or two Godzilla films or Gamera films or some other monster movie, a horror hammer film, whatever. And if you were really lucky, you might get something good after that on Saturday afternoons. More often than not, you got The Incredible Mr. Limpet, or you got yep. the what Nettie Professor. You got something like that. I don't think they yeah. ever showed the black and white Martin and Lewis movies on Saturday. I, I don't know. I remember color ones. And I just, it, it just felt like he was trying too hard and just wasn't funny. And as a kid, it's like, you know what? I will go outside and play. Maybe even some sports yeah. ball, which I don't <laughs> like. Um, so the thing just, I will, yep. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Just nothing ever appealed to me about Je I, like you when he shows up in an Animaniacs cartoon yes. comedy platinum Absolutely. hilarious especially no, when they mix it with uh, 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 Bart Brando Heart of Darkest Darkness yes. slash um, Apocalypse, Apocalypse Now. Now like I did not see that coming but you know <laughs> brilliance absolute brilliance yeah here I think the big problem is we're obviously in a way wrong. Yeah. millions of people loved oh, yeah. these films. If they were making three a year, that must have been there was a reason for it. It wasn't like, if we don't make these films, we don't popular. get to have a tax write-off, you know? So there is something about the humor, the constant breaking in for Dean to sing, and not worrying about any kind of plot elements and stuff that just is no longer sellable and is no longer considered 
worth watching. And I, I certainly agree with that. I would like a little bit more consistency in whatever I'm watching. And here it literally feels like, well, we have a bunch of these sets. Um, we have some stuff from a boat. We have some stuff from a castle and we have stuff from Cuba. Let's just throw this together. Uh, I'll count down every 10 minutes. Dean, you sing Jerry, you do your Jerry thing and we're out of film done. There's almost not even a story here, but apparently at the time this was entertaining. So part of me wants to say, I find really nothing interesting about this film, except the fact that somehow these people make $2 billion adjusted for times. I will say, Jerry Lewis can do physical comedy really well. When you see him prancing about the stage, it's not just flailing. No. He's actually remarkably coordinated, and he's, his body is always under his control the whole time. That's kind of impressive. It's just he does the same shtick over and over again. Well, he also throws himself utterly into it. Besides oh, yeah. being physically talented, nothing back. he is like he three hundred percent. Jerry yeah. is doing his thing, and more power to him. If that and it, there's so many comics that consider him like, oh, I got into comedy because of you, yeah. right? You made me laugh when I was a kid. Blah blah blah, and the entire country of France apparently. <laughs> apparently, so yeah, and being a straight man. Dean Martin, you got to give him credit for that because, man, is that a thankless task, especially it in this is. film. Every time he starts to do yeah. something, there's a love scene where he and Meryl, you know, I think I'm falling in love with you, and they're about to get close and do something, and suddenly out of the corner, <laughs> it's like that guy in the theater that just won't shut up. You're trying yeah. to watch the movie, and he's like, hey, look behind the door. That's what a guy... <laughs> it's that. That's exactly Kind what, of, yeah, yeah. So, eh. I think that we just literally can't judge this film because the times are so different. And we, we actually sort of, have you know, entertainment and they didn't. <laughs> well, you got to remember, they were also, com this era, they were coming out, out of World War II and the horrors of that and yeah. discovering the horrors of the Holocaust. And people wanted, some of the stuff people wanted was just mindless entertainment, just something that could turn your brain off and laugh hysterically at. Yeah. And they guess this was this gave it to them. And you know, nothing wrong with that. Just nope. it doesn't work for us. No. And Martin and Lewis, doesn't. if you like Martin and Lewis, this seems like a very Martin Lewis film yep. to watch. Yep, absolutely. And if you have never seen Carmen Miranda, she's not in it nearly enough. But mm. man, I would love to have seen her in her prime because she was she was a powerhouse, and she's wearing those thick heels, and you realize that she's very short. But if you look mm. at her in her costumes, like, I literally think she could beat up everybody in this movie. <laughs> yeah, she looks like she could bench press both Martin and Lewis at the same time. Yeah. So. And she is a force. She just is. She's really, yeah. she's fun to watch. Yeah. So much energy. But, but this, uh, this ends our series. Yeah, it does. It ends the series. And uh, I do want to bring up the poll qu the oh. poll question again. By all means. That is, what is your? We've talked about how this is clearly not our favorite comedy team. <laughs> what is your favorite comedy team, duo or more? And you can answer that by emailing us at us at maxmikemovies dot com. You can go to our website maxmikemovies dot line. <laughs> Uh, sorry, dot com. And, there you go, and Kristen. Thank <laughs> and, and you can leave a comment there. You can find us on the Facing Book under Max Mike Movies. That's where a lot of you seem to answer the question, which is cool. And, of course, podcast app, podcast app, podcast app. Yeah. But this does bring us to the close of You Haven't Seen That, Part 2, yeah. which we may revisit sometimes because there are a lot of movies one or the other of us have not seen. Mm -hmm. Well, there are some. Actually, we often have trouble finding yeah. movies that 
either we both have seen that aren't movies we both have seen or both haven't seen. Mostly it's me because it's a lot yeah. of stuff that I haven't seen. But if I bring stuff up, Max has seen it. But eh, yeah. regardless of that, next week is not yeah. the usual next no, week, is it? This is a special show, a very special, Ooh, a very special, special. episode. Because <laughs> <laughs> Mike's We're not all about pants. <laughs> We're going to learn all about friendship. Yeah. No, so. no. This is the this is the episode where we learn about why it's bad to drink alcohol. It is. Uh, I'm not uh, doing apparently. that show. Okay. <laughs> no. Next next episode is our fifth anniversary episode. We have been yeah. doing. Will it, we will have been doing this show for five years. Yeah. The first week of July. It's a lot of shows. Uh, it's a lot and of shows. And this was actually sort of suggested by one of our listeners, which we yes, appreciate, uh, Dan Schaefer. When we asked uh, people, hey, what do you think we should do? His suggestion was, hey, why don't you go and do a show about the movie that was tops the week that you did the first show? Mm. And we looked, and we didn't like that movie. <laughs> no. We I forget what it was, but it was, I think it was Ant-Man and the Wasp. I think it was. Yeah. So we decided really? we would do... It's the fifth anniversary, so we will do the fifth highest grossing film of, of that year. 2018. And Max, do you know year. what that film was? You did. I look. do. Good. Whew. Let's hope it's something good. Yes. Should we tell them or well, make it a surprise? Of course, because sometimes people don't know true. and they want to watch the film and then. That's listen. true. So, well, you see, because you see, folks, normally, see, right now what I'm doing is I'm looking right at the camera <laughs> and uh, I'm no, breaking the fourth wall, which isn't what we usually do. Oh, that kind of is what we usually... God damn it, this doesn't work. We don't have you walls in radio, Max. <laughs> oh, sure we do. Mine, so, are covered, mine are covered with egg crate foam. As it turns out, the fifth most popular film of 2018 is, in fact, a sequel. That always means a oh, good God, thing, Oh, God, not right? Ilsa, she will for the SS2. That was going to be a surprise. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've remade Ilsa. Uh, no, we are actually going to be doing the fifth most successful money-making film yeah. of 20,000, 20,000, 2018, <laughs> which was, in fact, Deadpool 2. So, not Electric part of the series, not really connected to anything, but nope. it is the fifth most money monthly monetarily <laughs> successful film unlike our speech here today of 2018 Parking is hard <laughs> at the beach and because of that we've chosen that and because of our suggestion by dan schaefer to mm -hmm. use that film as the show for next week to celebrate five years of doing this this yep so see you there This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. I'm talking to you into the microphone, but of course you can't hear it now because of the recording. You have to play it back later, at which point you hear me and then it works. Don't ask me how. He's all mushy-bushy. <laughs>